Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast. I, I think I've got in, almost accidentally got into the habit now of just saying names of films instead of the name of the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I, I nearly called this War of the Podcast. Um, and maybe that could also work. Uh, but anyway, welcome sure. to Wild Wild Podcast. My name is Adrian. I'm here with my very patient co-host, Rod. Oh, I don't. I don't have. Uh, I don't have that much patience, and it's not much. Not much of it is required. Trust. <laughs> now, your uh, other podcast, yeah, one of your other podcasts, uh, the Bloody Pit. You just did an episode on American Rickshaw, yeah, a Sergio Martino film, um, which is one I haven't seen yet, but it's definitely on my radar. But I was pleased to see you were uh, tackling another. Another cult film that I'm not entirely sure if we were going to do a movie like that, what category would put it in? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, American Rickshaw, what category would I put that film in? It's it's so crazed because it ends up being something that you could never guess from the first, I don't know, 30 minutes. It's, um, it's an amalgam of uh, what if, it, it turns into what if you did Big Trouble in Little China with very little money. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I did wonder from what you were saying that that sounded like the kind of closest comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a bizarre film. It's an amalgam of various elements that really shouldn't fit together, and yet by the end they kind of, sort of, weirdly enough, do. Uh, it's from the late eighties. It's from eighty nine, and I have a tendency, and I, I talk about it in the podcast. I've had a prejudice against the late eighties. Uh, early 90s kind of tail end of the the golden age of the uh, European exploitation period. I've had a prejudice against that, you know, post 85 or so group of films in general because uh, because honestly I think it was just easy to be that way because there were so mm-hmm. there were so many uh, 
fewer chances to enjoy yourself. I mean, they just made fewer and fewer films past a certain point. It, they just felt, you know, they couldn't compete. They couldn't get the money together. It, you know, a lot of movies just didn't get made that possibly filmmakers wanted to make. And so there are fewer of them. And the ones, once you start hitting on um, some films from that period that are, shall we say, less than awesome, you start to realize, okay, not only do they look and feel different, they're just of a lower quality. And so you kind of tend to back, or at least I tended to back away from them. But here lately, I've actually started to stumble across a bunch of them. Uh, with, with American Rickshaw, it was because um, Cauldron, this new uh, yeah. boutique video company, put them out, put it out on um, Blu-ray, and so I realized, okay, Sergio Martino, let me give it a shot. He's he's really pretty much never let me down in the past, so let me check out this late '80s film from him. And you know what? Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's insane. Um, you know, if you want to see Donald Pleasance morph into a pig beast, this is your movie. So. <laughs> that man will appear in anything, especially during really the late will. '80s and early '90s. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just like it's like he threw. He, it's like he realized, you know, I should just lean into this. So. Yeah, yeah. After doing Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, which really kind of raised his profile, he uh, realized he could just pop up in anything and yeah, make I, a quick I, buck. I think. Yeah, I think. It may have actually been around the time of Halloween 4 when he realizes, oh, oh, they're going to find a way to put me in these things no matter what happens. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's that may have been what kicked the door open. I would love for someone who maybe has some insight into Donald Pleasance's mindset during mm -hmm. the 80s about what he, you know, what he decided to do and what he decided not to do. And why uh, yeah. he suddenly just decided, you know, I'm just going to take every job in the world, you know. Yeah. I love Donald Pleasance. He always raises the uh, the quality of anything he appears in. Agreed, agreed. Um, and American Rickshaw yeah. is no exception. So I don't know if anyone's ever done a book, actually, on Donald Pleasance. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know either. Speaking of which, I was thinking, and I haven't actually, I haven't listened to the whole episode yet, but when you were talking about American Rickshaw, I thought an interesting book theme would be the Italian movies made in america in the 80s because mm -hmm. you think you think you've even, obviously the classic troll 2 is one <laughs> is one of these and uh that can easily be forgotten as being an italian movie but that is yeah shot in utah yeah and then you've got the, the, the more classy stuff like nightmare beach um but even i mean i don't even know obviously the 80s was the key period for all that but even mm -hmm. into the 70s, you've got stuff like The Visitor, which I think was 78. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I always think of the I always think of the first one that I'm aware of being uh, Fulci's The Beyond. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, I, you know, that one was clearly shot in Louisiana. All the exteriors were shot yeah. in, in Louisiana. And that's the interiors true. were shot he, back in Italy. So maybe he was one of the first because he obviously used New York a little bit in uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters. And New York Ripper. Um, and obviously New York Ripper. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of The Visitor, which I think was Atlanta. But anyway, there's, probably, there's definitely, for some enterprising writer who's got nothing to do, to um, <laughs> looking for a project. as a theme. Yeah, why not? American-Italian American films, I think, would be interesting. But um, speaking of books, uh, it was my birthday a few days ago, and my wife surprised me with the first volume of Troy Howarth's Jallo series. Oh, yeah. So that's really cool. So I've been work looking through that and realizing how many of them I already own but haven't watched yet, just sitting in the cupboard. <laughs> um, 
as well as how many I'd never heard of. So that's really interesting. But also, the I mean, the book stops in 1973. So uh, eventually I will have to get the second volume because there's a lot more still to come. Cool. Yeah. Strangely enough, I only have the third volume. I still haven't picked up the oh. first two. It's it's I, I can't I can't remember exactly how I ended up being able to get volume <laughs> three. I mean, I, I normally I don't buy things like that out of sequence, but no. uh, I'm crazy. Yeah. And um, yeah. Anyway, but that that's quite good. So that's my uh, sort of Italian themed uh, gift. I was very pleased with that. Uh, but we're, as I've said before, we're not I'm not intending at the moment to cover the Jallo purely because there are so many other Italian films that we can talk about on this podcast. Very true. Which, speaking of which, I have some other news, which I did tweet the other day. The film detective have done a restoration of Antonio Margariti's Battle of the Worlds, which is a film that we did discuss way back in episode two or three, but we haven't actually we didn't actually do it. No, because no. Other, otherwise this might have just turned into the Margariti podcast season, <laughs> which which I know is no bad thing, but. Um, but yeah, so uh, and we talked about it. You've covered it on your podcast before. And it's possibly, from what you've said, one of the more boring of the Margariti space well, films. It's it's more interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's the one with Claude Rains. And therefore, there's yeah. a, there's I consider it to be a pretty good movie. Uh, and oh. um, the fact that uh, there's been a restoration done on it is good. That means that's good. I'm hoping that means that they'll bring it out on uh, blu-ray eventually if yeah. they, if the elements are of such quality because what they restored it for uh is just for us is just for their streaming channel right now and i'm guessing they're they may be i guess there's probably two things going through the the businessmen's head there at film detective which is uh what's the reaction when we when we put this up on the streaming channel in other words how many people stream it and then also are the elements of uh, high enough quality that you know doing an HD release hard copy would actually be a, a good idea, or would it yeah. not look as good as we wish it would? So, I assume that the reason they've gone for this one is partly. I mean, I think the film detective seems to mostly specialize in public domain stuff. If I'm, if I've understood that correctly, you know, I'm not sure. I know this. I have their streaming service. Um, because oh, right. I because I picked up their um, I picked up like their first Blu-ray release and and one of the things they gave you as part of that package was um, a, a free year of their streaming service and a lot of the stuff oh, on there nice. is just is just you know um, public domain stuff to a large degree but they are at, they are constantly adding a bunch of different weird things to it okay including odd television series which uh, from the like fifties which man you can find some let's just say it's a it's a it's a minefield with gopher holes in it. You just never know what you're going to find. <laughs> but the um, the strange thing about um, Film Detective is I don't know if it's all going to be public domain stuff. It's not, I don't think that's true. I mean, they just did Flight to Mars. They oh, okay. just they just did uh, their, the the first one that I picked up was um, a Giant of the Unknown, which I don't right. think ever fell into public domain. So I think there I think there's some okay. definitely some licensing going on with some of the stuff. So um, it's a um, I, I have no I have no specific insight into how they're handling their video releases, but uh, if they can get Battle of the Worlds out on Blu-ray, I will be a happy purchaser. Yeah, I assume that they went with this one because of the the Claude Rains name um, would help with the with the marketing. Probably. But if you're so actually at the date of that we're recording this, which is the thirtieth of July, um, the film 
is uh, debuting on their channel today at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what that means, but I think I guess that's like later <laughs> today for you. Um, it's it's that time where I live. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's quite exciting. So yeah, there, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that and how they go about making that more readily available. I'd also like to know more of the story about how they've done the restoration um, because previously it was only ever available in sort of faded prints. Yeah. Um, so where they've gone, how they've done it, it would, I don't know anything. They've done a blog, on which is what I tweeted out. There's a blog post about it, but the blog is more just more broadly about Margarita's science fiction rather than here's how we did the restoration but but anyway it's good that um that you know the stuff like this is getting out there and more people will perhaps be discovering margariti's sci-fi work for the first time which is quite cool but anyway we need to get to our movie for today <laughs> must we we must and <laughs> and i think this this film is directly inspired by antonio margariti's gamma one quadrilogy yeah uh, we are talking about a film with a few different names on some uh it's called cosmos war of the planets elsewhere i've seen it just called war of the planets um in italian it's anno zero guerra nello spazio which basically means year zero war in space hmm. um i think hopefully i've got that right this time i, keep I think cocking, so, it yeah. up every, cocking it up every week we do <laughs> <laughs> um so alfonso brescia uh yes. what what is your experience of this director because he's actually very prolific when i looked him up is there, there's a couple of films that he's known for mm -hmm. particularly uh beast in space which we'll talk talk more about in a minute but uh he had a very long career going back into the peplum films right. as a writer as a director um he's done all kinds of fun stuff what what's your experience with him uh in general when i think of alfonso Brescia, when as soon as i see his name i just immediately flinch because i'm anticip i'm anticipating pain um <laughs> the, the the fact of the matter is that once you look at the totality of his career, I shouldn't have that visceral re visceral reaction. But early in the uh, early in the video age, anybody who uh, was seeking out science fiction films that you know you hadn't seen before were going to stumble across budget releases of this film and War of the Robots and um, Star Odyssey, basically mm. all these different uh, science fiction films that he made back to back to back in the late 70s. Uh, I mm. wonder why. What could have prompted the, the sudden mm. desire to do a bunch of cheap science fiction? I can't imagine. Anyway. Not sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a mystery. To, uh, no one knows. These things just pop well, up. They're, I mean, it's, they're funny as you sh it's funny you should say that because obviously we've got a bit of it. We've done a bit of a jump here. Because last time we were here, we were talking about um, one of the Gamma One films. And now we've jumped forwards about 10, just a bit more than 10 years. Yeah. Because basically after Margariti did his films, Italy 
seem to stop making films set in space. There are other sci-fi movies, and we might come back and do some of those another time, but because this season I wanted to specifically focus on the space movies, and there really weren't any. After Barva did his one and Margaretti did his four, nobody else really went to space in Italian <laughs> cinema until a certain significant event occurred uh, in America that suddenly got everybody thinking about space movies again. Mm, and, yes, yes. Some um, mysterious yeah. event. Alfonso Brescia, or Al Bradley, as he's sometimes known, um, was straight in there with not one film, not two films, not even three films, but five films. Yes. In yes. a period of about two or three years. <laughs> and it's, uh, let's just say it shows. Um, mm-hmm. when you produce but, these kinds of movies on that time that that kind of a timeline you're going to end up with um shall we say a, a, a spotty a spotty record of quality yeah but so uh, were you familiar with any of his peplum movies or his westerns or i mean he's done jallo he's done all kinds of stuff i wasn't initially but over the years over the years i've seen uh, a, a few more of his movies and i have to say um, the, the science fiction movies are not a no, no, no. That's that's definitely not true. I, I can <laughs> oh, I can I can admit to the fact that uh, I did see uh, years and years ago the Magnificent Gladiator from I think like sixty four, and pretty good little movie. Uh, he has a screenwriter credit and a director's credit on that. Mm. Um, uh, I'm curious to see Conqueror of Atlantis because I can't I can't be sure from the description and, and the images I've seen whether I've seen it or not because for some reason. All Peplum movies have a tendency to have similar images. It's it's strange, oh, yes. I know. It's very odd. But um <laughs> I can't say that I've definitely seen like uh one you know, the any of the Westerns or Eurospy movies that he made. But uh I will say that I am a bizarre defender of one of his well, I'm I'm not even gonna say that. I am a, def, a flat out defender of, of a giallo he made in the seventies that I think is, is Let me uh, guess, let me guess. Is it Naked Girl Murdered in the Park? Yes, uh, and I think that uh, <laughs> what I a title! Of, well, exactly, and it's and that's that is a, 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 a that's a newspaper headline in the film. Yeah, that they that they use to great effect, of course, is the title. Yeah. And the it's uh, also it's also the plot line of a lot of films. <laughs> yes, it's like if you basically the, the what's on the tin had better yeah. damn well be in the in in the packaging, yeah. right? No, uh-huh. yeah, so I, ha- I haven't seen that one, but I, it, the name rings a bell. Did it get a release yes. relatively recently on Blu-ray? Yes, it just came one. out uh, a few months ago. Uh, they had to do a, they had to repress it because it was done by Full Moon, and it's if oh. Full Moon can't screw something up, then they just aren't breathing. So uh, oh, the Full Moon release. That's yeah, why. Yeah. Okay, well, they're absolutely why the, 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 the terrible yeah. thing is um, there are absolutely no extras on it. Now, if you buy it now, you're you're going to get a, a good Blu-ray. But it's just the movie. But the oh. movie is, I mean, it looks fantastic. It looks okay. beautiful. And uh, the reason they had to repress it is that they totally screwed up the audio on it because, wow. like I say, they're full moon, and the audio sounded like sounded like it was coming out of a out of, I don't know out of a barrel or something. They had not. I don't know how they screwed it up, but they did. Yeah. So um, the. Uh, they repressed it, and uh, I can I can highly recommend that movie. I think that is actually really entertaining, little uh, you know, slightly sleazy giallo from okay. the mid seventies, and I, I slightly, do like it. Slightly sleazy. Oh, there are sleazier than <laughs> than that film. Trust yeah, me. Well, that's true. I'm I sure mean, it's 
It's Maybe. no Jallo in Venice, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and I wasn't even thinking down that path, but yeah, um, almost anything judged yeah. against yeah against that particular movie. But I he, also he, have a lot of affection for a later movie that he made that I I, I honestly probably stand on a, on an island in uh, in praise of this one. But he did what is generally referred to as Iron Warrior, which is uh, uh, it's often thought of as like the third Ator film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong. If you go into Iron Warrior thinking that it's going to be, you know, similar in in style and structure to the first two Ator movies, you know, whether you like them or not, uh, you're going to you're going to think that, you know, somebody dropped some acid into your tea. But the Mm. uh, the thing I the thing that I realized that I love about Iron Warrior is that it completely dispenses with all of the connective tissue between the plot points and because it's a fantasy film they use that as the reason for just plopping the character down where he needs to be for the next thing that you know for the next little bead on the string telling the story and I find it kind of amazing that they just kind of leaned into the fact that that's all they could manage right and that's it's, cool it's, i mean i haven't seen i've seen the first ator film mm-hmm. um i mean it's kind of interesting that that alfonso brescia is coming in to pick up where joe damato left off like these these are two <laughs> yes. guys who people might think of in kind of similar ways in terms of cinematic quality but i um you know if you've got alfonso brescia stepping in because joe damato couldn't be bothered anymore then you're you're <laughs> Your expectations are probably going to be pretty low, I would imagine. But, yes, uh, as, the, as they That's interesting. Be. Interesting. That it's, I mean, it's still got Miles O'Keefe, and as long as you've got him, then you've got Ator. At least you've got plenty of O'Keefe, yeah. yeah. I, I did actually, um, I was on the uh, the B-movie cast about a year or so ago talking about Ator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that first film is hilarious. Oh, I, I, I really enjoy the first one. I get a kick yeah. out of the second one. And yeah, I, 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 as I've expressed, the... The third one is uh, is I, mm. I I can't I nothing I consider nothing a guilty pleasure, but I will say this: I know <laughs> I will have to defend it every time I bring uh, it up. So yeah, so Alfonso Breski is I think he's definitely a director we'll come back to again and again in the podcast because he also did Polizioteschi films, a couple of mm-hmm. which are quite popular. I think um, he's a director who definitely would ride on popular trends. So. In the seventies, he was doing sex comedies. He did um, a kind of masked men film, Super Stooges versus the Wonder Woman, yeah. which I think is perhaps one of the best titles on his CV. Um, but yeah, but so we're looking this time at his. Now, as far as I can tell, the whole overall thing doesn't have a name. Like so, Margarita had the Gamma One quadrilogy. Right. These, perhaps because they're not very good, they've not. <laughs> They've not really been given a, a, a collective grouping. So yeah. we've just got... So there are four films, uh, five films. Well, I mean, I don't know, four or five, depending on how you want to count them. So there's War of the Planets, which is our film today. And these titles are so confusing because that's this is where they further get mixed up, I think, with the Gamma One films. War of the Planets. Then they did Battle of the Stars right um not battle of the network stars that was something completely no. different so war of the robots right. and then star odyssey which is a great name and then he came back a year later and thought i've still got these costumes how can i reuse these but also make a porno aha 
and so he Certainly, made be yes. because um Beast in Space some, is have you seen it uh not yet but it's on our list man it's a um it's an experience yeah i mean that one seems to be well we'll talk about it when we get to it because basically serpa lane was available and they thought well people only know her from the beast so let's just do that again Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, but I've got these costumes and these helmets, and like, mm, we've got space, we've got uh, the beast. How are we going to combine these two things together in a way that makes sense?" Oh, well. <laughs> they gave up on that. Oh, they gave up yeah. on the last part there. I'm going to tell you. Now. But so, kind of, really, there are only four films, and then Beast in Space is kind of tagged on at the end because they're all wearing the same costumes. But I would argue that one's probably not canon, whereas these. <laughs> these four all appear to be all a bit like the gamma one thing they all kind of are occurring within the same bit of galaxy the same confusing universe yes yeah um so now i was thinking about this after i watched it how i don't really know how to talk about this movie Um, because i don't know about you but i was thoroughly confused by it it felt of course you're confused the movie (laughs) makes almost no coherent linear sense so we talked about when we did our gamma one film world world planet we talked about the fact that they sort of shot those four films very closely together possibly sometimes even shooting two at a time right and there was this rumor how they used colored um clapperboards to make sure that the footage was for the right film what this film feels like is that they forgot to do that and that they just shot four <laughs> movies at the same time and then gave all the footage to somebody else who, to edit them without giving him any clue as to which bits went in which film. Uh, because you know, yeah, yeah. stuff just happens in this movie. You're like, what? <laughs> Hang oh, yeah. on, what? All the time, stuff will happen. And then suddenly you're in a room with some other people and you're like, what? Are, what? what are they just talking about and then you go over somewhere else something else happens and there's nothing connecting the two things you've just seen together and it's really confusing i Um, am of the belief and i would i'm willing to be proven wrong i am of the belief that there were not actual on paper scripts (laughs) for these movies okay i am of the belief that there were written on, you know, post-it note sized bits of paper, possibly fished out of a garbage can, ideas mm-hmm. that they that they decided they were going to build sequences around and then later on figure out how these sequences actually fit together. Now, like I say, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but mm-hmm. if I view these movies, especially this movie, if I view this movie in that way, then at least I don't feel as if um, I, I don't feel quite so cheated, and it also keeps my brain invested enough that I don't doze off because <laughs> that is the general consensus from just about anybody who's ever sat through an Al Bradley science fiction spectacular. If you are in need of a cure for insomnia, this will do it. Well, because Matt, Matt Blake calls the chapter about these films in his book Star Bores. Yeah. And he's hit the nail on the head there, hasn't he? <laughs> it, it is. But it, well, as you were saying, mm, man, they're, they're so confusing. Yeah, see, I don't know if I would say boring necessarily. They're not good. Um, and I've heard other people talk about um, 
Alfonso Brescia being the Italian Ed Wood. But again, I'm not sure I would agree with that because Ed Wood's films are generally very entertaining. Right. And this one, it wasn't. I wasn't so much bored as just confused. But anyway, there is a plot summary. Matt Blake has attempted to describe the plot of this film. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, you know, good on him as far as I'm concerned because I couldn't figure it out. Um, but let's talk briefly about the casting first. Now, as far as I can tell, the first four films are the ones that are kind of together do share similar cast members but i must confess i haven't watched any of the other ones i'm kind of tempted to after watching this one but mm, i don't know um fight so, that temptation fight that yeah. temptation so our main star here is john richardson which yeah. is really interesting because he's a british actor um he actually only just died earlier this year um there's an interview with him from a couple of years ago the uh, photographer mark morston for cinema retro tracked john richardson down and john richardson hasn't done interviews for years and years and years but because john richardson became a photographer after he retired from acting he um agreed to to, to be interviewed uh by mark morson but they didn't really talk much about these films um i think possibly because john richardson knows how terrible they were but um so it's really interesting that he ended up in these again we're sort of past the period when these guys were going to Italy in huge numbers to make yeah. films. Um, like just last night, actually, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, and obviously there's the the whole sequence in there where he goes off to Italy and makes shoots four movies back to back. John Richardson, he did do some stuff. Obviously, he's in uh, Black Sunday yeah, or The Mask of Satan. So he worked with Baba. Um, he's perhaps best known for the Hammer films She and One Million Years B.C., Right. which is and on that film is where he met Martina Beswick and they were kind of an item for quite a long time uh, then of course he went back to Italy a bit later to do Torso right, and Eyeball, both very classy movies um, <laughs> well Frankenstein if you, well, oh and Frankenstein 80 Frankenstein yeah. 80 if you want to you should probably group that in with if you're talking the classy nature of film then Frankenstein yeah. 80 definitely fits that Yeah, I must admit I haven't seen that one but it's got a great poster it's it's worth seeing at least one time. Yeah. I gotta tell you. So John Richardson, yeah, but for him to just, as it's felt really bizarre to me for him, of all the things for him to turn up in, um, a very poor second-rate sci-fi movie. I mean, but I don't know. He obviously just did things for the money. I mean, a couple of years after this, he's appearing in Murder Obsession with Ricardo Freda. Um, yeah. So he's just not that bothered, I guess. Well, and then after that, I mean, really, after after the late seventies, flash, you know, the first couple of years of the eighties, he's really not doing much of anything. I mean, it's almost like yeah. they're pulling him out of retirement to do the like the piece that he did for uh, Dario Argento's produ- production, yeah, uh, the, the Church, church yeah, you know, back in eighty nine. I mean, it's like it's almost like he's just doing something different by then. Yeah, well, I think he, he did become a photographer. I think it was his yeah. main other other career, but. Anyway, it just sort of struck me as being a little bit odd to uh, to find him in this in this movie. But you know, good for him. If it paid his bills, then um, why not? I suppose. Precisely. And he seems to be um, having. I, I hate to. I hate to put it in such crass terms. He seems to be having a good time while he's yeah. on screen in these films. So I'm guessing they're treating yeah. him well. And his leading lady is Yanti Summer, mm-hmm. a name that I was not familiar with at all. Did you? 
know anything about her. I knew next to nothing. The fact that yeah. she was only, you know, she was only in a handful of movies, um, mm. you know, and, and a couple of yeah. uh, a couple of TV miniseries appearances there in the seventies. Yeah, she she did one of the Trinity films. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I th- I think maybe her casting came about. This is a bit of a stretch, but she was in Lucio Fulci's The Return of White Fang, and then Alfonso Brescia did the following White Fang film. Yeah. Um, so maybe he'd been watching the White Fang movies to see what he was going to be ripping off and spotted her and thought, oh, I'll, I'll make a note of her and use her in a future film. And then a couple of years later, he gave her a call. I mean, but uh, her character, well, I don't know. I wouldn't even call them characters. They're like so badly written. Yeah, they're just character and sketches the, primarily. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't really have much to do at all. The dialogue is hilarious. I... I'm going to put in just some random extracts of dialogue from the movie into the podcast because they're speaking. It's almost like they're speaking stage directions at times. The, <laughs> the dialogue is just awful. Why in the hell did you send only one man out there? Well, I thought, Captain, I... Uh... Come in, Peter. Peter, can you hear me? Very well, Captain. It's too hazardous to work alone. Re-enter the ship immediately. We'll prepare another crew member to go with you. The orders are that outside we work in pairs. Don't worry, Captain. I'll be extremely careful. Captain, look at screen number two. Stop it, Segura. That's an order. If that battery breaks, the acid will destroy your spacesuit. I know what I'm doing, Captain. It'll only take a few seconds. He could die out there. He's liable to be... It won't take long at all, Captain. I've got to screw this in. It won't take a moment. Peter. You're a... You're a damn fool. Ah, 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 ah. The acid! The acid's eating through my suit! Ah, ah, ah. You've got plenty of time to get back to the ship. Use the directional. And above all, stay calm. And yeah. it was clearly it was clearly written um, to be spoken in English. Like John Richardson's lips are in sync with his dialogue. Like delu- they were filming this as though it was for a British audience. But I don't know. I've not been able to find any evidence that the film got uh, released anywhere outside of Italy in the 1970s. Um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't come. There's no ver- normally if a film gets released commercially in America, it will have had a, a review in Variety, and it didn't get one. If it gets a commercial release in the UK, it will be um, uh, reviewed in Monthly Film Bulletin. So, and there's nothing there. It didn't even come up on. It didn't even get a certificate from the British, uh, from the BFR, uh, the BBFC. Um, so. The only thing I can find, weirdly, it does crop up on a BBFC list in 1983. Possibly, maybe it was submitted as a VHS then, but it wasn't compulsory for films to have certificates on video in those days. So that might be why it doesn't show up as getting a certificate. So it's possible that it got some kind of weird little early home video release in the 80s in the UK. But as far as I can tell, it only got reviewed uh, on release in Italy in um, 
the kind of Christmas period 1977 so it would have been dubbed back into Italian anyway presumably true true so the whole English thing seemed a bit pointless but it obviously survived is obviously the English language track survived long enough for it to eventually get out into the world on DVD and uh, and various online sources oh I also um, according to the BFI a couple of extra titles that the film had it had a working title of um, Cosmo 2000 Invasion of the Extra Bodies okay which doesn't make any sense at all either no no it doesn't so yeah I think we've probably um, look I can teased... come up with I came up with a great title for this movie go on and it fits everything that happens in the how about okay war of the robot overlord yeah well that does make more sense and he he, he basically seems like an angry uh what was that robot from lost in space oh the b9 robot yeah yeah it just kind of feels i just kept waiting for him to say danger will robinson at Precisely. any point so here we go plot summary this is going to be short this will be the shortest plot summary <laughs> of our whole podcast career so far okay okay what, War of the Planets follows Captain Alex Hamilton, John Richardson. Mm-hmm. Now, that reminded me already. You, you were saying something in one of your podcasts about when they give people names oh, and they're yes. trying to make them sound like they're American or English and they just come up with really boring names. Oh, they come up names with so, that, such generic names yeah. almost all the time. and it's any, Alex and, Hamilton. Well, uh, well that's just it. <laughs> It's either, you know, is it Fred Hamilton or Alec? What is his name? Yeah, Alex like, Hamilton. Yeah, it's like okay, <laughs> cool. And then like there's another character named Richard Holden. It's but like, it's like, didn't they see Star Wars? The whole point was everyone had silly names, like Luke Luke Skywalker. For goodness' sake, he's not like Luke Johnson. Um, you know, they, it, it, at least, at least in Star Crash, he called her Stella Star. There's a deliberate attempt to give people sci-fi names. Just Alex Hamilton is just so lame. Um, anyway, he is a live wire space captain who is permanently in conflict with his superiors. There's a great moment that, which again, just came out of nowhere, where he walks into a room, punches an officer in the face, and then walks off. And then the and next like, scene is him. What? Well, I have to say that scene. <laughs> It, it's it takes too long because it's this you know this single shot where we watch him walk across you know you know yeah. walk seemingly forever and then yeah. punch the guy <laughs> and then walk back the way and walk back out of the oh. room the same way it's like okay that scene needed to be exactly it's half so that funny long. there's another that reminds me there's another great bit later on where because the, there seems to be this kind of your mission mission control yeah. on earth and there's a bit when the guys are all on their computers and then they one guy leans over the balcony to the commanding officer down on the ground below to say oh we've got some signal he's like i will come up to you now and then he just starts walking and walking and walking (laughs) and he's got to like go along he's got to go round up some steps this is a thing that he's been waiting for it's like an emergency and like this set was built with no kind of thought towards what the plot needed (laughs) Oh no! It, it seems to have been built with the idea of this will take up screen time to have the yeah. actors walking around it. Like I will be with you right now, in five minutes when I walk around and up and along and round and down again. Oh dear! Really yeah, funny. I mean, there can, yeah. At a certain point, you're like, why don't you just drop a rope 
and yeah. let them climb up that. It would take. Or less time. you know, why why are the computers just not on the same floor? Why are they up there? Uh, it's just ridiculous. It reminds me. I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're watching this over there. But uh, are you familiar with the character of Alan Partridge? Well, I am. I know who. Uh, I know what the character is. So yes. he's currently got a show. It's just finished its second season called This Time, which is a sort of spoof magazine show. It's very accurate to real magazine shows. It's very good. Hmm. But what they've what they've done is that occasionally he'll have to go from one part of the studio to go to another part of the studio to talk to a guest mm-hmm. and they've made it so that it's just slightly too long for him to get there and so his walk just becomes a bit uncomfortable because the camera just has to track across and follow him and he's already he's already said his di- he's already read the auto cue but he's still walking because it's a bit too far away it's really funny but anyway it kind of just reminded me of that it's like what are they doing Anyway, sorry, already. I'm, I'm even in the first sentence. And, uh, you're, well, you're one sentence I'm in, going, and your brain is squirming away, away from this film. So, so there's this is where we get some similarities here to uh, plots that we've heard before in other films. Um, there is a signal uh, coming from somewhere in space that he has been put. He's been put in charge of uh, going to investigate, and he's annoyed about this because his people are all very tired because they've just been on a very long mission um, and they don't have the training apparently although you know they are all in space so presumably what else have they been trained in Um, who knows but he thinks it's dangerous they want to go and explore this signal because it's interrupting it's causing some kind of radio disruption back on earth and uh, there's a really funny recurring sequence where we've got a lot of journalists from uh, the TV news or newspapers or whatever demanding the truth because they've been picking up the signal from space which apparently means they believe it means that the war there's a like the earth is under threat from aliens um and that's what this signal might be and the commanding officer guy is trying to play it down and he does a press conference and he says no it's fine there's nothing wrong this signal no war for war in space no <laughs> And then everybody does that classic thing that you see in movies all the time where they all run across the room and fight with each other to get on the phones to talk to their uh, publishers. We're all going to die. The Earth is under attack from space, blah, 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 blah. It's very funny. Commander, we've got a lot of questions to ask. How do you plan to answer this attack against the Earth? What are you talking about? There's been no attack against our planet. We've all seen a spaceship. Do you think MK-31 has been hit as part of some weird game? Will you please stop misrepresenting facts? A space skirmish does not mean that Earth is in peril and that we've been attacked. That spaceship out there could have weapons. Our bases didn't cite anything that could make us dread an attack. Why have you already given the alert signal to all the bases? Oh, because... We'll be quiet. That is a military secret. Yes, sir. The public must know about that ship. We may be facing the vanguard of a whole fleet. Damn, that's enough. Get out of here. I won't answer any more questions. The Earth is in danger. The Earth is in desperate, desperate danger. Aliens are attacking Earth. Vanguard of a fleet. Our bases prepare defenses. Can be destroyed like MK31. Oh, base Orion's monitors. We have seen the beginning of the end. And it reminded me again. This I think this film just keeps reminding me of other films. There's a very similar moment of that in um, in Airplane, 
where all the uh, all the newspapermen run into the phone booths and they, the, the phone booth just falls over because they just like smack into it and it hits the ground anyway see so, your yeah, brain so, continues to squirm yes. away from this film in t- it seems like in in the future um journalists are just 1950s newspapermen anyway so (laughs) hamilton has to go back into space to investigate this mysterious signal now where have we already watched a movie about a mysterious signal in space it does sound quite familiar it does um and when they there's something yeah when they get there they find themselves under attack from now the trouble is the print we were watching this on is quite murky and we get to see some miniature stuff <laughs> which is not great no, and it's very no. very slow moving uh, again you, f- you get the feeling that somebody who made this movie just heard about Star Wars <laughs> rather than actually watched it because one of the great things about Star Wars obviously the stuff in space is very fast moving yes. and this one is more like they remembered it's how they remembered um, 2001, 2001. Because it's so slow, the space stuff is so slow, and there's a lot of shots of really slow moving stuff in space, and then people standing in the spaceship looking at monitors really slowly, and then we look at the monitors and we see the footage of the stuff in space that we've just been looking at, which would suggest that there are cameras placed strategically in space just to film them as they go past, so they can watch them, or they have drones hovering around outside to film themselves. It's like they just want to look at themselves in their monitors. <laughs> it's kind of weird. But anyway, they're attacked by flying saucers, which is yes. not as exciting as it sounds. Not and remote, they, you know. they have to land on the planet because they uh, have got some repairs to do. Now, luckily, what they don't have to repair is the... Um, <laughs> I've forgotten what it was called. The mm-hmm. thing... The, the meteor deflector or whatever it was called. That, <laughs> well, yes, from the planet of the vampires, yes. The, me- the meteor deflector appears to be fine, thank goodness. Because they're still using that same technology. Of course. Um, it's still, but, it's still so, viable technology, even yeah. whatever year this is. So they land on the planet and they immediately go outside to check it out and start looking at rocks. And um, so this is where we get then into even more confusing stuff about um they start looking at rocks and go Ooh, look at the minerals in these rocks yeah and you know they suddenly these people are all geologists <laughs> and um and then one guy gets attacked by a robot and somebody else seems to get zapped into by some rocks into another place it reminded me of phantasm where um, yeah. like you know you remember in phantasm there's those two kind of metal rods like the uh, and if you lean into them, you come out into another dimension. Yeah, it's, a, it's something... weird because it's it's as if this is some kind of portal that teleports yeah. people who walk through it. And it te- I, I can't tell if it por- teleports them. It seems to teleport them just someplace underground. Yeah, it teleports them about five meters from where they were originally standing. Yeah, it's, it's... because when they're trying to get out again later, they're like, let's just go. And you're like, well, hang on. Didn't you just get teleported to where you are? But you're actually just over there. And it's, it's like the most pointless bit of teleportation uh, technology ever invented. Um, but this is when they go and, and we're back in the famous caves uh, yeah. just outside Rome that we have seen in so many movies. Um, I was thinking of 
Luigi Cosi's Hercules films, which oh, yeah, seem to course. be I if I get and I I feel like it's the same caves. It might not be, but we've seemed to have seen a lot of Italian movies in caves. Um, well, yeah, there there have been quite a few, uh, including yeah. a few alien knockoffs that I well, have yeah. an, uh, that I have an undue affection for. Yeah, yeah, and of course in Star Crash we see possibly the same caves again. I don't know, I don't but know. there's a lot of cave action here. So we're in we the, the spacey stuff. Although this whole podcast is about Italians in space, we've skimmed over that because basically not that much happens when they're in space. It's all here now so they're yeah, in a cave this, and all the stuff that does happen in space is vaguely is confusing boring. anyway yeah it really is um so they are now on a planet in a cave somehow they've either been transported there or what some a woman has been killed and there's blood all over her face um we're not really sure exactly who's doing it and then we find that there's a race of blue people yes these who, aliens and they they commute one of the they they're like um troglodytes or something they're like quite low intelligence but one of them is super intelligent he's kind speaks, of the elder of the group yeah it's like the the alpha blue man of the, <laughs> of the group release them i am amak strangers my voice is pure thought that reaches the mind Hey, how does that guy know our language? Shut up, Richard. It's us. Our brainwaves make the telepathy become sound. My race was great once. The machines served men, and my people were happy. Then the huge machines stole the command from me, and we became slaves. All this before the great explosion. I am talking about an atomic catastrophe. Its survivors, as you see, have regressed to an animal state. Strangers, Amok knows why you have come to this planet. I think we've got to do something. We will. Captain! Captain, can you hear me? Maybe they don't know about the rest of us. We can attack them from the rear. It'd be simple to do, sir. We can use the disintegrator guns. Don't worry about us. Repair the generator. And he communicates with Alex Hamilton and his fellow astronauts whose names are all meaningless uh, or interchangeable <laughs> we've got yeah. there's, a, there's a Scottish there's a Scottish guy called Mac who sings a Scottish drinking song about being in Glasgow which was really weird he's on a planet in space singing about Glasgow that was bizarre. but Adrian you cannot deny that that took up time on screen it did that's true yes um, so they are talking to this guy and he's communicating with Alex Captain Alex, um, about how they are a former very advanced civilization, and and they can they they look through some monitors, or is it just that they're looking across, and we get shots of this futuristic city that used to be theirs. Yeah, I, I'm this... not sure if they're looking at it and it's far away, or if it's just because it's a model and it looks really small. It, the the look... forced perspective uh, photography on this was not <laughs> well done. It's like they've visited a model village of the real city. Yeah, this than... is what it looks like if we could yeah. ever go there. We've, we've, but yeah, it's like we used to live in this city. We've recreated it <laughs> using plastic bottles and sellotape and Legos and whatever else we um, had laying about. Yes, to remind us of our former home. So apparently, they built so much technology to do all their jobs for them. And then they built a supercomputer to control all the technology, so they didn't e they didn't even have to bother controlling 
the technology that was doing all their jobs for them. So they basically lent so much into technology that they gave this computer the ultimate power and then it decided to shoot lasers at them and make them all live in a cave. Well, I mean, it's the age-old story, uh, Adrian. It's yeah. give, a, give a supercomputer control over your lives and then, of course, the super supercomputer turns evil. I mean, you know. Yeah, which, of course, chimes totally with Captain Hamilton, um, which I just realized he is called Fred on the IMDb, but I'm um, just going off what Matt says and Matt Blake says. But he's also it's... referred to as, as Mike in some <laughs> descriptions of this thing. I, I don't um, even know if they ever nailed down... I mean, no. I don't see how anybody who watched this film cold and was attempting to gather information from it, no. you know, like like character names. Because also, the character names are not in the are not in the closing credits. No, the, no, the closing no. credits is just a list of people. There's no so and so played by blah de blah. It's yeah, just these, all these the actors. people were on screen. So yeah, it's it's somebody <laughs> sorted out yourself, audience. Exactly, somebody has had to do that on the uh, on the IMDb. Uh, Captain Hamilton has previously had dialogue about the overuse of technology because they have a computer that don't they call it something like whiz that's yes, um whiz. that has to make all that they won't make any decisions themselves they always have to rely on whiz and whiz says we can do this and whiz this says, really this really pisses off john richardson's yeah. character this is why he went and punched that guy because the computer was telling yeah. him something and it turned out to not actually be accurate yeah and he's, they, they won't, he doesn't want they won't, orders from a box Exactly. They won't make any judgments or decisions themselves. They only they feed it into this giant room shaped room sized computer uh, whiz. Um, it reminded me a little bit again. I don't know if I'm giving them too much credit, but if you look at Isaac Asimov's I Robot, the lead character in that is kind of suspicious of artificial intelligence yes, and robots yes. and technology and so on. Thinks that ultimately it will just bring everybody harm. Um, and so we've got a kind of got a similar situation here, and he is completely vindicated by the fact that this giant robot, which they eventually meet, so yes. there's there's a robot who's killing everybody, and um, they somehow get summoned, and it turns out that the robot was the one summoning them by sending this signal, um, because oh it is, I, 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 if yeah. that's true, I, I missed that the, part. I must the I robot have, was the one. Out. He lured them to this planet on purpose. So this ah. is again like it's just like Planet of the Vampires. They were they were lured here on purpose to do a job, and their oh, okay. job yeah, that's their right. job is to change a couple of fuses in the <laughs> robot, because apparently he couldn't train any of the blue men to do it for him. He had to lure Earthlings here, who presumably have got better opposable thumbs or something, to be able to unscrew an old light bulb and put a new one in. Well, it's um, hilarious though because he drags these these Earthmen here, and then the, astro the these these astronauts or whatever we're going to refer to them as uh, yeah. decide to help these poor these poor besieged blue people who are under the thumb of this this evil computer, and they they decide to help the inhabitants to escape you know their their robot enslavement, and uh, of course they manage to do this and end up of course spoiler alert they destroy the computer. Yes, uh, uh, which never looks any better than you know a bad force perspective stack of boxes with some, oh, so with some flashlights. But what's brilliant? It. What's brilliant, of course, is that to ha enable to to be able to destroy the computer, they have to ask Wiz what to do, and Wiz <laughs> basically says, "Press the red button." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one that oh, says okay. destruct underneath yeah, the, it maybe self-destruct I, I, it, it might as well have said that and uh, so there's a whole big face off with the computer in the room um, when they're changing his circuits and he's like ha 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 now I am going to control the universe and kill you all captain that red button there shh not so loud it might hear us Hurry up, Earthlings. What's taking so long? I'm losing patience. Faster, Earthlings. You have many to replace, and I've waited too long for this. Hurry! That's it. That's the one. Put it in. With all that power, the planet Earth will be destroyed. And they try to press the red button and he's like zapping them with lasers. And and then I think, doesn't he throw something at it or something to hit the button? Uh, yeah. Because yeah. he can't press the button, but he chucks a shoe at it or something. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, um, Yancy Soma, her character, which is named as Mila, I don't remember what her name was, but apparently it's Mila in the, on the IMDb. She loves Captain Alex, and she said, I love you, at one point, mm -hmm. which is the first indication that she loves him. But there's no chemistry between them at all. Oh, no, um, of course not. But apparently they love each other. So he's able to go back to her, and they are all happy. But <laughs> this is really funny. They, um, I think the planet is going to explode because of what they've done to the computer. Yes, yes, um, yes. But they've they've taken one blue man with them and left all the other blue men behind to die. Correct. And they haven't even taken the super intelligent blue man with them that was psychic. It's just one of the other guys who was a bit less clever. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, right, this bit is not in Matt Blake's description because it's not really part of the plot. All of a sudden, one of the crew, and I can't remember which one, is it Mac, maybe, turns into a werewolf. He turns into some kind of a werewolf. Well, it's, it's if he's and starts killing people. by the computer. It's like the computer managed to escape the planet's destruction. By turning this guy into a werewolf. <laughs> and he starts trying to attack members of the crew. Yep. And then uh, gets into a fight. And they're, they're, he's attacking... Um, I think is is it Greta? So there's there's another woman on the ship. I think yeah. it might be Greta, and she's in love with the blue man for um, some reason that no one can explain. Yes, he's protecting her, but she runs out the room because Alex tells her to run out the room, and so then you've got uh the, you've got Alex, the werewolf guy, and the blue man, <laughs> and so Alex presses the um, open the windows for a better view button, which all spaceships <laughs> have. Of course. And uh, the blue man and the werewolf get sucked into space. So the alien manages to, you know, sacrifice his own life to destroy yeah. the evil computer that somehow but managed to turn all... someone into a beast. So they've basically committed genocide. Yes. As a, as a, but not even on purpose, just like as an unintended consequence of their mission. They blew up the planet and then the one guy that may have been able to continue his race with an earth woman in it producing slightly less blue children uh, <laughs> yes. he's he's been sucked out into space and that's the end yeah and that whole bit is like what the this was another thing where you think hang on did, did you mean to put this scene on the other movie like where did this werewolf guy come from 
Yeah. It's I, I got to tell you, man, in the name of all that is bright and sparkly in this world, what in hell is going on here? <laughs> if anything, that guy is a beast in space. Yeah. And maybe they should have just stuck that scene into Beast in Space. Which which my understanding of Beast in Space is that there's not that much of it in space. Um, no, it's more of a. Um, it's more. Of this, we, we've yeah. we've we've found a way to craft uh, <laughs> a pseudo science fiction framework around several very poorly filmed sex scenes. So yes. Mm-hmm. But there you go. So that is War of the Planets, a film that uh, is available freely to watch online, and I'll put the link in the notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty interesting, and there's a whole there's four of them. Mm. Which okay, kind Adrian, of makes Adrian, me want to watch them, but you, mm. that word "interesting" that you just used, mm. I'm not oh. sure it means what you think it means. <laughs> yeah, um, okay, it, it's doing that word is doing a lot of work in that sentence. It's carrying a heavy load, and I would like to unpack mm. it for just a second. Okay, interesting. It's interesting in an arch, sarcastic way of looking at film, <laughs> uh-huh. but intrinsically on its own as a work of art he said with a giant question mark in his voice um what what i i I don't know that it is i'm not kidding you that when i went to watch this thing for the first time in a very long time i had to super caffeinate myself and still found myself starting to doze off and having to like (laughs) get up and walk around the room and kind of pace pace in front of the television screen (laughs) To keep myself from losing consciousness, it was mm. it was it was a rough ride, man. So interesting. I've got to I've got to debate you on the word interesting as a choice well, here. I mean, it it took me about a week ah. of doing about twenty minutes at a, go, in a, at a go. I didn't watch it all in one go, which might possibly have all have not helped because the film feels so disjointed anyway. Uh, but it's, it's yeah, so I couldn't do it in one go. I couldn't do it in one go. I do not want this this show to deteriorate deteriorate into the kind of show that uh, I do not like, which is a, a film podcast in which you begin to wonder if the hosts actually enjoy film. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, and, and, and luckily, you know, we've not had we've not had to worry about that up till now. Mm. But into each life, a little rain must fall, and yeah. in this case, sometimes a really terrible movie is dropped into your lap because your co-host is a sadist. <laughs> <laughs> that That's you, Adrian. That's, yeah. that's, I'm mm-hmm. calling you out. That's mm-hmm. what you are. I, I fear for the, ch- I feel, I fear for the lives of your children. Yeah. Uh, this is, don't get me wrong. Somebody somewhere must like this movie. Mm. Surely. I mean, surely somebody does. I am not that person. No. You said That's... at the beginning of this that you think that you like it more than me, right? Mm. Possibly. Okay. Um, <laughs> what are the, what are the elements? And, and I'm, I'm I'm I've got a completely open mind here. I'm, I'm casting wide the doors. What okay. uh, what are the elements of the film that you uh, that you enjoyed? <laughs> well, I, I yeah, I don't know. I think what I like is the attempt to do a new version of the Gamma One thing, where he's done. I think what I like more is the idea behind it, perhaps rather than the film itself. Yeah, I, I can like see the that. fact. I, see that. I like the fact that he wanted to make four movies and have them all kind of interconnect, um, and they've all got the same matching uh, red velvet helmets, or I don't know, 
that are never removed. Helmets. Isn't that odd? They never take them off. Yeah, that's a very hot. Th- that's one of those things. That's one of those things that in a movie that could possibly have held my attention longer, I mean, just even visually, is that at some point the characters would take those hair, those headpieces off. <laughs> and in, in other words, just to change the way everyone looks for a little yeah. while. I mean, they even had, they did, they even had a brief costume change in Planet of the Vampires, but uh, no. Right, right. No, well, I'll remember be, I'll in be, Planet of the yeah. Vampires, they had those, those, those headpieces that, that they, they're wearing when they're in space. But once they're, once they land, mm-hmm. uh, the, several of them are removed. And it's yeah. one of those things where you get that differentiation between characters because everyone's wearing a uniform. These are uniforms. And so if everybody looks the same, if everyone's dressed the same, that just adds more to the what the hell am I watching? Who is that person? Why are they there? Kind of vibe, you know? Mm. No. no to, yeah, to be fair, the film is terrible. But I, <laughs> I think it's just the idea behind it that I like more. But, and I can get behind that, yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't think I could pick out any elements and say these are its redeeming features because it, <laughs> it doesn't have any. But, you know, when I listen to podcasts and people talk about films and how terrible they are, that always just piques my interest and curiosity, if nothing else. So, And we may be doing the same to people maybe right doing now. the same thing. It's just, for it's which just I a, fully apologize. A, yeah. So. Now, I'd like to close uh, close up with some feedback that we have received. Very exciting. We've had two emails. Um and we've had one from somebody um, whose name is Kurt Fukuda. Um, and he wanted to tell us, to thank us about our Planet of the Vampires episode. Oh. I'm sure he won't be thanking us for this episode. <laughs> well, who knows, um, he might. But uh, so he says it's amazing what Barb was able to accomplish with such limited resources. And he also thanks us for following up the episode uh on a on a Franco and Ciccio movie uh with one on a great sci-fi film and he said yes its greatness comes from the genius vision of Mario Barber true um which is absolutely right uh so thank you Kurt we had an email so you mentioned last time that there was a song by a band um called what they called several mouth parts several mouth parts yeah and so I got in touch with them I initially got very confused and got in touch with another band that also have a similar name because <laughs> <laughs> there's a band uh, called Mouthparts and they were the ones that I found on social media and they're from Sheffield and they also do kind of surfy, punky stuff and so at first I thought that was them and I emailed them and they're like, no, we haven't got that we haven't done a song called Wild Wild Planet and then I realised it was the wrong band um, but Adrian. anyway, I know so, um, but anyway, so I've actually found the right band and they said it was fine to use their song. But then their, um, so their guitarist emailed us to tell us the story of how this song came to be, which I thought I would oh, share cool. with you all, which I thought was really interesting. So uh, his name is Spooks Mahoney. And um, so he says about 10 years ago, he watched Wild Wild Planet on TCM. Actually, I'm just going to read it out because otherwise I'm trying to put it in a third person and I'm just going to get confused so 10 years ago I stayed up late to watch Wild Wild Planet on TCM though tired I found the film so insane and fascinating I had to see it to the end the line watch out for those gadgets on their chests was it though I realised I had to write a theme song for the film I immediately heard it in my mind as a quasi 60 surf number a bit like the bird's title song for Don't Make Waves 
As I was falling asleep, the basic melody came to me, and the next day I figured out the tune on my 1936 National Dobro prototype electric tenor guitar, which he's also sent me a photo of, and it's very cool. In my song, I envisioned the wild planet to be sort of a swinging 60s sexual paradise, as if Hugh Hefner were Ming to a kinky planet Mongo. That's a film I'd watch. <laughs> yeah. That is why, of course, should uh, one go there, it would not be wise to admit it to a world where the women are mild. I wrote the lyrics in about 20 minutes. We recorded it a week later. The basic song was done in one, to one take. That's pretty amazing. We broke wow. for lunch. We broke for lunch and added the vocals and special effects. This is one of a handful of songs that turned out exactly as I heard it when writing it. Mary Fleener, the cartoonist, was our bass player at the time. She also did the sci-fi sounds and Star Trek vocal backgrounds. I played the electric tenor and did the vocals. Steve Kane played lead and second rhythm guitar. And Chuck Leslie, who died about a year ago, was our drummer. He goes on. I used to read Ackerman's famous monsters and screen thrills in the early 60s. And re he reinforced my idea that the B in B movie stands for best. I have said for 40 years that there is more truth in 10 minutes of Robot Monster than in all the works of Spielberg. As a matter <laughs> of fact, our song Dead Vegans is a mashup of the Tucker film, Plan 9 and Night of the Living Dead. And Ooh. I make a reference to Night of the Demon in Love's Everlasting Curse. And the song Jinx Money is simply about my favourite Bowery Boys film. Wow. Uh, so there you go. And he also closes uh, with quite an interesting challenge to our listeners. Should you have an idea or title for something to be turned into a song, I accept all challenges. Nice. So there you go. Um, so you can tweet us if you have an idea for perhaps another movie that they should tackle. But I thought that was really interesting. So thank you, Spooks, for sending that to us. I'm going to ask him if it's okay uh, to share the photos that he sent me as well. I'll put them on Twitter if cool. he says that's okay because that's really cool. But So thanks, Rod. I, I was unfamiliar with the band. Uh, if you haven't heard our previous episode, why are you listening to this one? Uh, is my first question but um, do go back and hear their song at the end and um, check out the links to their website in the notes because they're really cool so yeah well that's done, quite fun Adrian, yes. yeah it's really fun and um, who knows what other Italian movies have inspired uh, surf punk songs we'll hopefully find a few in fact with the, uh, <laughs> the, um, the, the, the other band Mouthparts that I am contacted by mistake they've done a song about a killer sex robot so there might be room for that in a future episode anyway uh yes that sounds that sounds i gotta hear it at the very least yeah yeah <laughs> so uh well there's, there's probably room room for that band as well at some point okay but anyway well, well listen one little one last bit of bizarre oh, movie trivia about this movie before we uh, uh, yeah. say goodbye to it forever he said mm. hopefully um, the guy who is credited with uh, writing the screenplay for this. Oh, there's a screenplay? Uh, yeah, I said credited <laughs> with. I did. I never claimed something existed. I'm saying yes. he got a credit. His name is Aldo yeah. Crudo, and he worked oh, with yeah. uh, he worked with um, uh, Alphonse Brazia or Al Bradley, as he's known on the English language prints, on a number of different films, including you know this film and then War of the Robots, which just lends more 
more of my I, I like I, I like your idea that these were probably shot together and then they just randomly mixed together sequences. Uh, but he also has a screenplay credit on uh, Beast in Space, so we'll see if uh, we'll see how that turns out. Perhaps it's just mm. leftover ideas. But uh, I, I looked at uh, other films that he's written, and I've got to tell you, uh, there he did a, a film. Called, he wrote a film. He wrote a film called The Return of the Exorcist, which has Richard Conti as a, as an exorcist. And I have to say, I, I must see this movie, no matter how bad it may be. Uh, is that the one also known as Naked Exorcism? Naked Exorcism? Yeah. That is a good question. I yeah, don't know I about... Believe so. uh, that, yes, yes it is. The um, Cauldron Films are putting that out on Blu-ray later in the year, I believe. Uh, well, uh, the, the screenwriter of this terrible science fiction mm. movie was involved in writing that there movie. You go. Uh, and also, one other that really does look like it has a chance of being an interesting movie is called Lady Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, as far as I can tell, it's a, it's basically about a New Jersey mafia boss and nice. um, might be a bit of a revenge tale. It's kind of hard to, to suss that out. Yeah. Well, we can add it to the, um, add it to the list. Of things of, to eventually uh, of, watch. Yeah. To things to put on eventually. But yeah, he also wrote Hitchhike, which I just watched quite recently with Franco Nero in it. And that is an incredible film. That is a really good movie, yeah. Yeah, it's a sort of partly a rip-off one or inspired by Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even to the point of casting David Hess in a quite a similar role. But it's, fra- it's mainly Franco Nero and Corinne Cleary bickering. And um, she's fabulous in everything. And yeah, that's a good film. About... Hitch, Hitchhike is good. It's yeah. it's it's. Uh, uh, he he also did it that same year. He uh, he wrote uh, a, a, another crime film. Uh, came out that same year with George Eastman and Jack Palance. That was directed by uh, our friend Alfrezia Al, Al, yeah. Al, Al, here. Um, that looks like it could be quite good as well. Known as Blood and Bullets. Yeah. So it seems like Alfonso Brescia possibly did make some good films but then yeah. he made the then he made these so we'll see we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely we'll definitely come back to him i think in our politiotesky season which is coming up soon um we'll try and fit in at least one of his to just partly just for comparison purposes to see i think it'd be a good idea yeah i think you're yeah, i think you're he, right we should if he if he if he managed to pull anything good out of his bag <laughs> tricks <laughs> anyway right we'd better finish up there so thank you everybody the the actual discussion of the movie itself i don't know what you're going to have made of that we didn't go that i don't know we couldn't go into too much more detail on the plot because there isn't really one yeah to, uh, to, to talk about um but rod thank you for helping us to navigate our way through this one um and we will ignore the other three but we are going to come back at the end of the season to talk about beast in space so we're warning you now give us a chance to kind of wrap things up there on the brescia sci-fi movies but uh thank you once again um i do appreciate your time doing these things well glad to do it glad to do it and thank you everybody for listening um next episode is going to be uh, a good film <laughs> i promise quote, quote unquote uh, yeah depending on your definition of good Um, all right thanks everybody we'll see you soon well we won't see you we'll talk to you soon (laughs) bye bye bye
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.